do you just poo as you swim in? Just let it flow away. That was another yeah. one. Yeah, that was a real one. dilemma. Yeah, I asked myself that many times. Welcome to the Now podcast. We're back. My name is Niall Wilson. My name is Neil Raymond Wilson. And we're here to engage, inspire and put a smile on your face every single day. And we've got an unbelievable guest. I feel like we've broke through, Dad. We have. We've got our first famous savage guest is probably one of the most famous adventurers crazy adventurers in the world today best-selling author done things that we're going to talk about that no human has ever done on this earth ross edgley ladies and gentlemen oh, let's go. what an intro i feel it's a, it's a niche level of fame isn't it basically niall and neil you know i'm good i'm good at floating and eating basically that's what i'm good at <laughs> do you remember when uh, we did the video two years ago and i said that you um you pulled marathons for a living. Because <laughs> I was trying to say that he did a marathon pulling a tree. Yeah, yeah. It's like he pulls marathons. <laughs> I love that. That was going to be on my Insta bio. Yeah, I pull marathons. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. That was two years ago, wasn't it? Two years. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, you've done a lot in two years. I've done a lot. You've done a lot. Well, well yeah. He's probably spent the, the, the whole two years pretty much swimming every day. Do you know what? I think you're right, actually. If you add it up. Well, we, we, I know we were talking about this, you know, off, off air, but... You know, I said originally that the Great British Swim, so, you know, 1,780 miles, uh, swimming around Great Britain. Uh, I said to my girlfriend, I was like, no, look, it'll be fine. You know, I'll be gone, you know, 60 days max. Yeah. I'll be back, you know, and uh, yeah, 157 days later. <laughs> so it took a little bit longer. So I was out um, of action for basically most of last year. Like I said, I said I wouldn't touch land um, and I was just in a weird world of sensory deprivation as well, because you've got to imagine swimming for 12 hours a day, 157 days, you can't hear anything, can't smell anything, you know, you kind of can't really see much as well. So I completely lost track of everything. Life. Yeah, yeah like I missed the World Cup. Uh, that started at finish. When I got to Scotland, because I came through the Irish Sea, everyone in Scotland was telling me that Scotland had won the World Cup. And I believed them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, for me, this is great, because now... It's been good to come back online and just catch up with like you and like old friends and you know, yeah. Neil and stuff. Yeah. So it's been it's been really good. You must have thought if somebody said you Scotland have won the World Cup. You must have thought, God Almighty, I've swum back in time. <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've, got, I've gone backwards. Can I? I guess it's it's probably just worth. I mean, we've dived straight into it, but it's worth just doing a quick summary because. The swim around, what, what do you call it? Did you call it a the Great ultra British swim? Swims. Great British swim. Yeah, Great British so swim. So the, yeah. the Great British swim was basically round the whole of the British Isles. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and that's how many? 1,000? We got it down to 1,780 miles. Right, and, and what you said earlier, so how did you come to a calculation of you do it in 60 days? That, it, based on my top swimming speeds and everything, right. when I was really naive on June the 1st when I sat there at Margate, I thought I'd had everything worked out. And, yeah. and you'll appreciate this as well, Niall, because I was thinking like an athlete. I had all my statistics there and I thought, this is brilliant. Like literally seven days in and, um, you know, tides, currents, um, I'm losing parts of my tongue because I've been swimming for 12 hours a day. So you get what's called salt tongue, right. where it, it basically absorbs all the moisture from your tongue. And um, I woke up. And it was kind of like, it's hard to explain for people listening, but it was like I hadn't finished eating something. You know, when you've got yeah. something in your mouth and I woke up like that, I was like, what is, what is that? Like, you know, did I brush my teeth yesterday? What is it? <laughs> and um, I spat it out and then I realized it was my tongue. I was spitting out bits of my tongue onto my pillow. You know, so my point was, is everything that I thought I knew about swimming changed like 
seven days in, I was like, yeah. oh, this, it's no longer swimming anymore. It's surviving at sea. It became right. very different. So the 60 days was me naively thinking like an athlete going, that's my top speed. Yeah. I know what I swim 20 miles in and it's 1,708 miles, boom, done. Yeah. And then Mother Nature and the Ocean or Neptune and Poseidon, whatever you want to call it, yeah. just went, no, nah, Ross. That, that's not happening. Yeah, exactly. So, so, <laughs> so for the layman, somebody like me, I guess in our things, so, so logistically, how did it happen then? So you swam for 12 hours and then what did you do? Did you did you get out of the sea and go on land into a hotel or did you sort of stay in the sea? What did you do? That's a good question. Yeah, because so the basically the tide changes every six hours. So it doesn't matter um, whether it's two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, the tide will change every six hours and you just need to be with it when the tide's moving with you so it will, it will move with you for six hours and then against you for six hours so if you're prepared to get in like i said two o'clock in the morning two it doesn't matter just get in as often as possible when the tide changes you will make progress and more progress so that 12 hours was made up of like i said six hours on six hours off six hours on six hours off just for 157 days you know and that's that's what you do and the tide doesn't care if your tongue's falling apart. It doesn't care if you've, you know, got sea ulcers and wounds and chafing. The, the tide will change, and you either get in or you don't. So you get, so you get we, out of the sea into a boat. Were well, you on a boat? Yeah, that was right. Yes, yeah. so we, we would anchor down at that point. Right. So I had a tracker on me at all times, and as soon as I would get out to stop and, and sleep, um, we would anchor down on the boat so we knew the exact point where I stopped, and uh, and then and then we'd carry on. Right. So it was just that all the way around, just relentless. Yeah, so, so I, I'm going to go straight into my million-dollar question because I know there's, there's all these other things that you've done. You, you ran a 1,000 miles barefoot, didn't you? Yeah, that was a bad you, idea. You completed <laughs> <an> <laughs> Olympic all of them sound like bad ideas. <laughs> you know, you come up with a completed Olympic-distance triathlon carrying a tree. So yeah. so and and you've got this you've got this consistency, haven't you? Every time you're going to do something which is amazing, which is mega that no one else could do, you think, and I'll take a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a tree with me. So why? Yeah. Why do you do these things that are just unbelievable, superhuman? I feel I've I've read the list, and I feel like nobody else on the planet can do it. Somebody <laughs> somebody might disagree with that, but wh why do you do yeah. them things, Ross? It do you know what it started. Um, uh, I think something like four years ago now, I uh, my friend, who's, who's absolutely fine now, but he was diagnosed with cancer at the time. Right. And a lot of people don't know um, that the Teenage Cancer Trust helped build specialist wards. So if you're a teenager and diagnosed with cancer, you were treated historically in, in the children's ward or the elderly ward, and you were kind of robbed of your teenage years. So seeing the work that the Teenage Cancer Trust did for Joe was amazing. And I just wanted to do something um, to really, to, to just, you know, give back, like to do something. And I think... You know, you'll appreciate this. Not if, if right now, you know, Olympics is over and everything like that, and you stop your career. Like I had, you know, swimming and playing water polo for Great Britain. You're kind of left with this athletic ability, and you don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Right. So that was where I was at, and I was at Loughborough University studying sports science, and I didn't know what to do, but I knew I wanted to raise money for charity and use this athletic ability that I'd had built up over years. Uh, sat down, friends of mine were like, run a marathon. I was like, oh, people have done that. Run two marathons. I was like, it's been done. And then somebody just said, as a joke, oh, run a marathon, pull in a car. And I went, that's, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> so <laughs> Joe, um, my friend, like I said, who, who was diagnosed at the time, he's fine now, but he was a motor racer. So all of a sudden, before we knew it, we had a branded car. Silverstone turned around and said, there's the keys to stove circuit. Uh, it's a mile uh, long and it's relatively flat 
Um, I can tell you it's not. I can no, tell you every yeah, lump yeah, and bump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, for 19 hours, uh, basically, took me 19 hours. Uh, also, as well, like chafing wounds as well. So I know you're probably able to see on camera there, but um, you see those there. And yeah. that there, that was uh, that was from the Ross, harness. All I saw was abs. <laughs> <laughs> so that you'll notice they were on my right side. For those listening, I, I basically um, about ten hours in, I, I reached down and my clothes were just damp. And uh, I was like, "That's strange. It's not raining. You know, I'm not even sweating that much." And it was it was just blood, basically. Wow. The, the the harness had chafed on my right side, cut into my skin. Um, but it was it was trending worldwide on Twitter. Uh, World's strongest marathon. We'd raised over a hundred thousand pounds, and I was like, "Wow, we can't stop now." Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I said, "Look, just duct tape it up and let's go." So we duct taped it up. We finished, and uh, it just it felt amazing. It, it felt amazing to do something to use this athletic ability that I have, but to do it for a higher purpose. It just yeah. it felt amazing. And then, long story short, you know. It kind of escalated the, the Caribbean island of Nevis heard about this and said, oh, you've got a unique ability to you know, do endurance events, but fuse it with strength. And um, they said, we are wanting to become the world's first carbon neutral island. I said, well, that's amazing. Why don't more people know about this? And they said, don't know. I said, can you do a, a triathlon carrying something heavy to raise awareness? And then somebody again just went, what about a tree? I said triathlon, and then I was like, "All right, done." So <laughs> before I know it, you know, I'm there. Uh, yeah, like um, just doing a triathlon, carrying a hundred pound tree, and again, it, it felt amazing to do something for a higher purpose. And, it, and it's really interesting. I, I, I really just picking up on something that you said that kind of. Um, so you you represented Great Britain, which is an extremely high level, and because in my previous podcast, now you spoke about the ups and the come downs, didn't you? And the ups and the Come down. So, did you find as you started to do these things, it was replacing that feeling of I don't I don't know what what it is, but it's adrenaline. You know, it's I think easy, a purpose, but, but then the buzz, the buzz, it makes yeah. you, the way it makes you feel like yeah. when you come when you compete at that level, or you experience things in your life that are like an Olympics. Like you, you know, what I'm talking about Ross, but for the people back home, that our our high, our peak experience is on another level to to maybe to you, Dad. You know, like as so an looking at my lawn cut and it's got lines exactly, it. like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so like then I've, I'm not to experience retirement yet, but I mean going through injuries and kind of you experience having surgery, having it taken away, you're not allowed to do it anymore. So retirement will be a similar feeling as like, what on earth do I do now? It's exactly that. And then you chase the buzz, the feelings that you get on a day to day basis. I've talked about it before. So I think my question is, do you think? The way you say it and the way these things come about, you just sound like a, a guy that's like, yeah, boss, I'll do that. I'll do that. You know, just kind of, but there must be like, you must have the addictive gene of like, I want more. I want to push the boundaries. I want to dent the universe. I want to change the game. I want to do something that no one's ever done before. And then when I complete that, the feeling that gives you, then it's like, well, let's do it again. Do you know what I mean? I don't know whether you have that addictive gene that's that I do. That's like I have got to be obsessed with this, and until I achieve, or until I become the best, until I make history, I'm not going to stop. You're right, and and I, what I love that you touched upon there, and I, I sort of spoke about this a little bit in uh, my tour that I've just done, the World's Fittest Tour. Um, 
basically, uh, to go off on a slight tangent, 10 years ago now, I, I lived with the uh, Yamabushi warrior monks of Japan, and they go on what's called an okugaki. Uh, it's like a pilgrimage. You go into the mountains, you, you meditate under ice-cold waterfalls, and you do a marathon a day. Um, it's basically like self-discovery through self-discipline. But there was something that they, they explained to me out there, and it, they call it your ikigai. And your ikigai is essentially um, what they believe is your, your sense of purpose, your reason for being. If you look back through history, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson talks about purpose. Uh, you know, uh, Aristotle talks about entelechy and, and, and everyone's got a term for it. But I love that the Japanese call it your ikigai. So you, for everyone listening, your ikigai is made up of something, what you love, what the world needs, what you're good at and what you can be paid for. It's those four things like that in a Venn diagram. And your ikigai is made up of all of those things. For you, yours is gymnastics. Good at it, love it. You're paid for it through various means. And it's what the world needs. It's what you're putting out there through this podcast now, inspiring everything. So that's your ikigai. Now, if someone was to take that away from you, you'd have to replace that with some modification of your ikigai. And that's what happened to me. You know, I was, I was, you know, being paid, I was sponsored, I was swimming, you know, and professionally and then playing water polo professionally. Everything was great. I had my ikigai. It was good. And all of a sudden that was taken away. And I was like, oh God, okay, now what? And I just felt I had to modify it. And so now because of my books, I suppose, and, you know, putting something out into the world, I get paid for it. Certainly what I love, what the world needs, potentially, yeah, you know, and so... You, you've got to constantly come back to your ikigai, address that. And um, in Japan, there's a small island where your ikigai originated, and they've got more people living over 100 than anywhere else in the world. And they oh, yeah. talk about, you know, fresh fish, diet, rice, every clean diet. But, but ultimately, they all say, it's your reason for being. You know, you, you want to get, you, they say you're going to want to live longer if you've got a reason to live. Yeah. You get up every mm. morning. Um, to go off on a, a slight tangent as well, even when you start looking at um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, so for those who, who are listening, kind of think about a pyramid and at the base of that pyramid, you've got um, physiological needs. So just sleep, food, warmth, shelter. Exactly. Yeah. Once that's done, you move up and then you move up and then you start looking at uh, security, um, friends, family. As you move up, you start looking at prestige and a feeling of accomplishment. And as you go up even more, you start looking at self-actualization. And, and this is the thing that I think exactly what you just described. You've got food, warmth and everything. Yeah, cool. Uh, all of a sudden, you've got friends, family and everybody around you. So you're moving up that hierarchy. And uh, I think fusing Maslow's work with your Ikigai, you know, for everyone listening, it's just, yeah, I think a lot of people watching your channels, I see it, I read the comments. They're searching for theirs and people listening mm, to this yeah. podcast They've got a concept of what they're recognizing. They're searching for it. And that's that for me is, is one of the best things that you do. Aside from all that you achieve as a professional athlete, what you broadcast to, you know, millions. We were, we were just talking about yesterday on a, on a separate podcast of like just speaking into this mic with you two and the stories that we are telling that could impact even one listener or one watcher to find the ikigai, to understand, to develop themselves, to, to be motivated, to become the best version of themselves is like the best feeling in the whole world. And that, that's why we do it. That's what, what we do it for 100%. And Nile and I, through um, a, a program called Eye to Eye, uh, Maslow Hierarchy of Needs is a big part of that. You'd, yeah. you'd have done it with Michael. And, and, and it tends to be generally that most people get to a certain point and don't reach for the self-actualization because... They are happy with what they've got. They, you know, there, there may be a whole load of reasons around 
inspiration, drive, determination, and people tend to be comfortable. So that that's why I you know I, I use an example the other day when we we're talking. You, I worked with a lot of people that I would say, "Do you love working here?" Well, no, not really. My dream is to open a sandwich shop. You know, and that needs to be—it's my silly example, but people are not following the dreams. They just get to a certain point and think, "Well, everything's okay." Yeah. So, yeah, and it, it's fascinating what you're saying there. So, you know, in the Ikigai and the Maslow, and you've got the why attached to it. So, I'm sorry, I'm just taking you back a little yeah. bit. So, the the first why was uh, your friend Joe. Amazing. It sounds like you made raise an amazing amount of money. The, the second one was kind of right. I don't know if it was the second or the sequence of events. So, so if you get onto the swim around the channel, what what was the why on that for you? For me, so this is I'll give like two sort of versions because one was certainly looking at um, Captain Webb, eighteen seventy five. You know, people said you cannot swim across the English Channel. Um, right. Water's too cold. Tides are too strong. Cannot be done. Uh, but Captain Webb, who was a, a Royal Navy officer at the time, um, said, "No, no, no. You know, I think I can do it. You know." And he was optimistic. And it was this. It was. It was deemed impossible to swim from Dover to Calais. He couldn't do it. Uh, but but Captain Webb on a diet of beef broth and brandy swam breaststroke <laughs> all the way across. Just smashed it with his brother and his cousin on the support boat. Uh, swam breaststroke across because at the time front crawl was ungentlemanly like. Just like that, smashes it, gets across, proves everyone wrong. And for me, I was like. That's like a proper English eccentric explorer. I don't know what it is about it. It's just ingrained in our DNA. Like, yeah. it's just that British adventurous. That's the whole thing about the guy who said, you know, why did you climb Everest? Because oh. it was there. Hillary. Hillary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why yeah. did you climb it? Because it was there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was he? yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was, it was exactly that. And actually, I, was, it, um, was it Hillary, by the way? Or was it, who said that? Because it was there. Was it Hillary? It was oh, Mallory. Yeah, I Mallory. Think. I was at the other one. It was yeah, Mallory yeah. because because what I loved about Hillary, Hillary said, uh, "It's not the mountain that you conquer, but ourselves." Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. what I love about that, it goes back to this. Like at the time with Hillary, everyone was like, "This is amazing! Look what you've achieved!" You know, and it almost everyone was almost like eccentrically motivated by that because of the prestige and he'd stood on the roof of the world yeah. but it was Hillary was like no 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 he did it for intrinsic reasons you know he yeah. did it for himself it's not the mountain you conquer it's ourselves so it goes back again to this Ica guy intrinsically motivated being motivated by the process itself this it's a it's a reoccurring theme it's the same with Captain Webb that everyone was just like oh it can't be done but he just he felt something and I think that's the, the case for me that with the Great British Swim it was just like it was an intrinsic form of motivation that I was just like I want to I want to do it and I want to be a weird old man when I'm older and I can go anywhere around the coast and just like stand there and go I swam around exactly for no other reason yeah. but intrinsic motivation and then equally um yeah I, I I sort of this isn't the sort of media friendly story but uh, I, when I started last year I had no intention of actually swimming around Great Britain uh, I wanted to uh, set the world record for the world's longest current neutral swim right. so like uh, Bermuda's current neutral there's not many tides and things basically so I was going to do that went to the Royal Marines um, they were kind enough to invite me down to Limpston where, where they train and the PTIs there they camped out on the side of the pool so I had a lifeguard for 48 hours and I swam non-stop Swam something like 160 kilometers or something like that. Finished, was nursing basically trench foot and my hands because they'd just been in water for so long. And uh, this officer came over to me, um, old guy, amazing mustache, like just like regal. And he walks over to me and he just goes, uh, drink, drinking a cup of tea. And he says, you boy. And I said, oh, you, you're, you're right, mate. And he goes, what are you doing? 
I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm training. I said, I'm training for the, for the world's longest current neutral swim. And he pauses and uh, sips his tea. And then he looks at me and he said, um, can I be honest with you? And I said, yeah, yeah, no, please do. And he said, that just sounds a bit shit. I mean, all right, mate. Like, what, what do you want me to do about it? And he goes, you just need to man up and swim around Great Britain. And so I shook his hand and I was like, fine. Um, but it was, like I said, I think that, that you know, for those listening, you guys get it. It's this intrinsic motivation. That was the why on the Great British Swim. So um, it was just something that, when I'm long gone and buried, yeah. people will always go, oh, you know, yeah, the first guy swam around Great Britain. Yeah, so that was very much Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It was a feeling of personal accomplishment. Yeah, you know, yeah, that, that was almost at the top of that hierarchy. So can, can, can I just, just, yeah, oh, you go on. No, I just want to ask one more, more question on the swimming mic movement. So you said you were, your tongue got really sore and you were spitting out your tongue. So, so that why, that self-actualization, that feeling that you had, would you have continue to go at the cost of losing your tongue do you know what so that's that's a really interesting question and um i've not actually uh i've not actually spoke about this uh, publicly but uh, out of everybody you know exclusive I, I, on the exclusive. exclusive yeah yeah kind of yeah <laughs> so yeah so i um it's interesting what you said there because yeah absolutely when Swimming with parts of my tongue falling off, I had sea ulcers, which are wounds that never heal because you're constantly getting in the water. And so that wound is getting like an inch deep going through the skin and almost going through to your tendons. And yeah, like I'm still sort of nursing the scars now. And so when I was at that point, um, a lot of the media were like, this is amazing. You must be thinking of uh, feelings of accomplishment. You must be feeling of like, uh, you know, your family and friends. And I was like, no, I'm so low down on that that hierarchy of needs. Yeah. I'm thinking like, I just want food, I want to sleep and I want to keep my tongue. You know, I, I was so far down on that, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. However, with that said, um, it was towards the uh, top of Scotland and, um, like I said, I, I've never spoke about this sort of publicly, but it makes kind of sense with certainly you, uh, Neil, and, and certainly Niall. But um, I found out about my dad. Um, basically, he uh, was uh, diagnosed with, with, with cancer. It was terminal. So they said it, it, it's, it's terminal cancer, but he didn't want to say anything. My mum my and dad didn't want me worrying because I think if you're swimming, you're swimming in this kind of like sensory deprivation for like 12 hours and you you know we've spoke about this off air like mental health and stuff and and i think if you're swimming for 12 hours a day left alone with your own thoughts and then you know something like that's happening to your dad like it's like you you can go to some dark places and um my, my family knew that so they didn't they didn't want to tell me um but my dad who's you know literally like the most mentally strong and stoic guy i know realized that I shouldn't stop I just I just wanted to go to land I wanted to just go and give him a hug I just wanted to be there with the family that's all I wanted mm. to do um and my dad made me promise he was like no no no, no. like you, you you can come home and you can be with the family and you can come and see me he says but you you do it via Margate and he, it was like he knew Maslow's hierarchy needs he knew self-actualization he was like you fulfill your Ricker guy you know so he almost selflessly was like you need to get back to climb Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Because although your tongue and everything is falling apart, and although like you feel really bad at the moment because Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you look at family and friends and belonging. Mm. He was like, no, 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 you're on your way to fulfilling something that is quite profound. So my dad said, make me a promise. You can come home, but you do it via Margate. 
So I basically swam the entire East Coast. And a lot of people, when they looked at the Great Bridge, they were like, what's going on? Because they saw that, you know, I was, I, I sped up, you know, and then there was a storm and I tried to swim through a storm. I wasn't thinking straight at all. Mm. I was just, I just want to get home. And um, it was quite good because the team were amazing and they almost, I almost outsourced common sense to them because I wasn't thinking straight. Um, and then, you know, and then, and then I, I got home. And again, it goes back to, to what we're doing at the moment, uh, raising money for um, uh, cancer research, because you know, my, although it's terminal, my, my dad, it's, it's immunotherapy, we just won a Nobel Prize for. And uh, yeah, my dad, like he, he's unrecognizable for those who follow the Great British Swim. They saw him, he was, he was in a wheelchair and stuff. He, he's, he's, he's fine now, he's back playing tennis. So although really? it's, wow. yeah, yeah. So it's just like, um, it's, it's, it's really weird when you start looking at Maslow's hierarchy needs. And even my, my dad, when he was there watching his son swim around Scotland and his health, you know, he's on Maslow's hierarchy. He doesn't have his health. So the, his, the base of his pyramid is like taken out. But he was like, no, 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 no. You know, you fulfill your pyramid. You do, and it was like, it was like hard. So, so yes. Yeah, so sorry to come back to your question. Sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, but it's weird how you almost in that moment around Scotland, it's like that pyramid inverted. Because yeah. although I didn't have health, and nor did my dad, you know, he just flipped it and was like, yeah, yeah, but self-actualization, realizing your potential, that's at the top of the pyramid. So you don't stop until you've done that. And then, and then, like I said, I think that's why, you know, no one really sort of knew at the time, but that's why I was like, I was so choked up. And when you see me hugging my family and, and, and stuff, that was because it was the first time I've been on land for 150 seven days but I'd also had the entire east coast of the country thinking for 12 hours a day like about yeah. that so yeah yeah that's amazing that's amazable, amazable, yeah it was it was yeah. raw yeah, yeah. and I talk a lot about mental health and have done with what I've been through I mean you must have there must have been days of the darkest of dark the pain you know no one no one sees it it's like yeah we're sat here today and you've got a few scars and a few bruises but yeah, you, you made history and you swam around Great Britain. But you were the one that was there for 157 days in the water, stroke after stroke after stroke. I assume in pain. Yeah, that's that for the for the most part. Were you in pain? Yeah, yeah. There was there was rarely a day. And again, you're you're right. There was times when uh, people see you know you and they see you know you landing that perfect landing yeah. and the crowd goes crazy and they cheer. And they have no idea the amount of like aches and pains. You probably wake up in the morning with just things like bones, ligaments, crying, like what are you doing now? Yeah. And it was certainly the same with me. There'd be times where uh, the tide changes every six hours. So it might be two o'clock in the morning and um, you'd wake up, Matt, the captain, would be like, right, tide's changed, get on deck. And uh, the, the wounds, the chafing from wounds, there was times when the, the bed sheets had fused to my wounds. So I had to basically rip it from my neck. Um, yeah. Before I could even start the swim. So I'd rip it from my neck. I'd then spend an hour sort of putting on uh, Vaseline, a disinfectant, then a plaster, uh, more uh, wrapping, duct tape to try and keep it watertight, then a plastic carrier bag, you know, and I was trying to swim in that. So it was, um, it's really interesting how it just, it didn't become a swim anymore. It just, it became like pure survival. Survival, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, it, took, it took swimming as we understand it, you know, when people go, oh, I know swimming. You know, I, I watched that in a pool and it became a completely different sport. Mm. So yeah, to answer your question, I'm like, I'm so glad that I can chat to you about this because I feel that you guys are one of very few who actually understand it. But um, for all of 
social media as well and sort of smiling and seeing that heroic me with my trident at the end it's like yeah but that it sounds cliche but it's like that that cost like blood sweat and tides do you know what i mean that's kind of like to get that that's but i i it's it's my ikigai so i describe that to you but would i do it again yeah, and I suppose it's the same question. <laughs> yeah. You know, for everything that's hurting you right now on yeah, you and the surgery, you do it again, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so sometimes it's the physical pain. I think is is not it is better than the the mental pain of not reaching your guy. And I see that time and again. And I think that's why mental health at the moment. Um, to go off on a slight tangent, when you start looking at Plato or the ancient Stoics, you know, Plato. Um, influence Western philosophy as we know it today, you know, one of the great, great thinkers of, um, you know, the uh, ancient Greek sort of era, but equally was a great wrestler. Plato was his nickname. It meant broad shoulders. And he understood this mind-body connection. The ancient Greeks always understood that. And so now when we're talking about mental health, it's like, we've been doing it years. You know, the ancient Stoics, you know, Marcus Aurelius wrote meditations, you know, Roman emperor who uh, was for most of his life, very fragile, very ill, but his mental health was incredible. And um, he wrote his diaries, which became published as meditations. He wasn't trying to write a Sunday Times bestseller. He was just trying to make sense of his head and the world. It's like, why am I? Aristocrates as well, he's another one. Exactly. They were all doing it. You know, however many thousand years ago, people, people are trying, people were back then and still now trying to understand the balance between mental and physical health that ultimately drives your well-being or whatever language you, you want to use. People still trying to work it out. It's just, it's, some things are more scientific now, aren't they? Because mm. they didn't have things to plug into your brain and see what your neurological pathways were doing. They they just based it on logic, didn't they? If I think like this, I end up doing that. It's exactly That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. In its purest, simplest form. Yeah. yeah. But I think when, it's true though, it? It, I mean, that's why when Maslow started looking at Einstein and started tracing like people and he called them like they were self-actualization, they were reaching that. Yeah. So he, he actually identified people and said, they're doing it right. So yeah. I love what you said there, Neil, because it's like for all of the terminology and everything, it's just like when you understand it yeah. um, and it's living a life of a Riti, that's what the ancient Greeks used to call it. When you're living that, again, you know, self-actualization, Ikigai, it doesn't matter, the ancient Greeks called it Ariti, and it's just this idea of, like, you're living your your truth, your full potential, and, like, seeing you now, I mean, it's been, it's been two years since we've caught up, but, like, honestly, I feel like like a big brother, I'm proud, like, to come <laughs> and see you now, because I'm looking around and going, this is cool, like, the penthouse suite in Leeds, yeah. you're doing it, like, yeah. you're doing it, but it's also being very aware that... Um, it's it's kind of all relative. You can look at success, but it's how do you determine it as yeah, well? And, absolutely. And you can have everything in the world. I suppose you'd have seen this. This is more a question for you, but there's Olympians. When you look at your Ikigai, I believe that some of them perhaps get depressed or slip into depression afterwards because it's not truly their Ikigai. Maybe they would just have the genetic potential to be a great athlete. For instance, growing up, they might have just been found, oh, you're good at running. You run yeah, more, yeah, you yeah. keep running. And as a result, they're like, okay, but it wasn't what they loved. It was what they were good at, what they could be paid for, and potentially what the world needs. But it's not what they love. Yeah, and it was how they're influenced as well. Because, you know, and, and th- this is where the parenting aspect comes in, the family aspect. Dad, you know, I don't like running, it's not for me. Yeah, but you're too good at it, you can't yeah. stop doing it. Yeah, but I, I want to play, play football. You're too good a runner. 
you need to keep running. Yeah. So, so the, the, the conditioning it comes from other people, which means their self worth and what they believe is not being realised because everyone else is telling them. So, that, so then they'll go, "All oh, right, I'm a great runner." Yeah, I'll well, have the, to carry the on parents running. care more about what they want, what exactly. other people think of their kids rather than the actual <coughs> kid. And what, but you sort of I see so many athletes today in gymnastics in in sports. I'm around Olympians. I'm around it. I can tell and I know that they do not love the sport. They don't love what they're doing. You know, they've they've been almost trapped into this journey because they're talented, because they have physical attributes, because the parents want them to do it, because they've had external pressures from their environment, or the coaches, or their the coaches, teachers, or their, their friends, friends. You know, like I mean, it, I mean, I fortunately I do love gym, and and I know that today, and I, I I am obsessed with gymnastics. I love it, but from the ages of about ten. 11, 12 years old, there were already talks at school about, oh, Niall's going to the Olympics. Niall, he's, he's going to be the one that goes to the Olympics. Yeah. You know, can you imagine the pressure or, or what a young child or a young teenager would feel from that when it's constantly said all the time? And it's not words come out of my mouth necessarily. It's just because I have a talent and because I am probably one of the best in Britain at gymnastics, that kid's going to the Olympics. So then you all of a sudden think, well, I'm going to have to do it now. Yeah. For, not yeah. for me, but yeah. like for everyone that's saying that I'm, that I'm doing it. And I think what you did as parents was was make it about myself. You know, you talked about it's not the mountain you climb, it's it's the self-purpose. It's, so I, I've tried and as I've got older to do things for me. Um, but it's interesting, we're going back to the, the point about the depression and the come down after the games. I still think that is very real, whether you love sport or you don't. Going back to the point of peak experience... I'm sure you got it after the swim, after these major adventure events that you've done, where you've changed the game, you've made history and the whole world is watching and you've, you're trending on Twitter and you're going on the Joe Rogan podcast, not quite as good as Neil and Al. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like getting 50,000, half a million followers on Instagram, you're getting all this attention to then also, then you, then you get home, this is how I explained it, you get home, you've got cuts and wounds and scars and a tongue falling off and then you just sat in the kitchen with you, with your family or your girlfriend and it's like well what now mm, what do yeah. I do I, what do I do yeah and I, and I guess that that whole mental health around athletes in particular is something to talk I, I want to talk about and help because you, you saw right about the physical versus mental I can I wake up every morning in pain my joints hurt I'm taking painkillers right now my neck is killing me my wrist feels like it's broken every single day but that's all right because I'm used to that and it's like that it's just pain it, it comes and it goes people forget about pain otherwise you wouldn't have two babies you wouldn't have a tattoo you wouldn't have a tattoo again why would I go back to the tattoo it's the worst pain in the world you know it's you forget about pain what what is very real is internal pain and you can't see it and that whole feelings of anxiety feelings of feeling lost feelings of feeling suffocated like you've no purpose lonely they're very real and for me they're so much worse than a broken wrist or a broken neck or a, an ulcer or your tongue falling out I mean well tongue falling out you would better speak but that, it'd, that, it'd be a crap podcast <laughs> if you're doing no you're right, time, yeah. you're right. but you're right I love what you said there because a lot of people when they were like how did you do that for 12 hours a day for 157 days but I love how this has kind of evolved this podcast because 
because my answer is just purpose, sense of purpose, because mm. to wake up every single day and just all I thought about was I need to just get to Margate. It doesn't matter if I swim a mile today, 20 miles, I want progress. And so all I was concerned about is I'd wake up and go, what time does the tide change? And how bad are the waves? They were my two questions every single day. You know, and that's all I did. It was primitive. It was pure. Yeah. And I was just swimming and I got to see the best sunsets, the you know, sunrises. It was incredible. My life was so simple. And when you come back on land, media obligations, sponsors and everything. And then now, you know, and then I got back and um, I remember, you know, I had to renew the, the my my car tax and my mortgage. I was like, oh God, yeah, I've got a house. <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah. And then like even little things, I turned up, one of my best mates had a baby. I was like, you made a human in the time that I was away. You yeah. know, and, and friends of mine as well, they were going to get married and they ended up breaking up before the wedding and I came back on land and I went, wow, I made it back for the wedding. And they were like, yeah, we're not getting married anymore. I was like, oh, <laughs> so all of these kind of things. And so I... I love what you said there. I think there's something incredibly pure for anyone listening and certainly what you're doing. It's just like when you have a single goal, but it's got to be your ikigai because uh, that, that also was when people were going, no, be careful, Ross. After the swim, you might slip into depression and everything. But I remember the next day, everyone was like, oh, what are you going to do? And I went, I'm going to go for a swim. And they went, you're going to go for a swim? I went, yeah, but it'd be nice without a wetsuit and like jellyfish teabagging me in the face. You know, it's just going to be nice just to go for a swim. Because it was Mecca guy, it's what I loved. But I think there's a lot of people um, who, Steve Redgrave, great example, when he got out, I can't remember which Olympics it was, and he said, if you ever see me near a rowing boat again, you have my permission yeah, to shoot yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want anything to do with it. And you see some, I think, footballers as well, when you sort of see them like balloon up and they, you know, because it was just, they were kind of gifted with a ball at their feet. Did they love it? Don't know, but they could make a lot of money from it. You know, and you kind of look at them going, you've got all the money in the world, you've got everything, but you're not happy. And almost that's, a, you know, the very fact you balloon now your weight and everything, it's probably a physical representation that it wasn't your guy. Whereas there are footballers out there who just love the game, you know, they're passionate mm. about it. I mean, it's a complex sort of thing, but looking at Pele now, he's still very involved in sport. He loves it. Mm. Maradona, to an extent, probably a bad example because, you know, he had like his sort of oh, demons as well. Issues, yeah. But maybe football saved him. You know, what, yeah. what would say so he's come full circle now and he's realised his Ica guy has gone into managing. So my, my final one on your Ica guy as well, with, and I think it's probably worth chatting about, is um, Kipchoge now, you know, looking to break the sub two hour marathon. And so everyone is there going, pushing him for an answer. And they're going, are you going to break it? Are you going to run under sub two hours? Which for me is like Roger Bannister and the sub four, four minute mile. mile. Yeah, yeah and, and they're pushing him, they're pushing him because they want that like, exactly what you just described there, Nile, about other people going, oh, do it. Think of the sponsors, think of you. And Kipchoge, I mean, he's a real philosopher and very delicately spoken. And he just said, um, and I loved his answer. He just said, do you know what? My goal is to run a beautiful race. And if that's under two hours, then great. Yeah. But if not, that's fine. My goal is to run a beautiful race. And I suppose it's exactly the same with you that come Olympics when everyone's going, no, no, are you going to win Olympic gold? How do you feel? How do you feel? All you can do is say, I'm just going to leave and, and get off the mat, off the bar and just think. I'm sure the best gymnastics I've had on my day. Oh, that was Process. beautiful. Yeah. Process, not result. Yeah, that's, right. that's what we talk about. Yes. We've done it a couple of times on the podcast. I point up there. So there's Niles medals and leotards around the room, yeah, which is fantastic memorabilia from taking part in the Olympics, Commonwealth Games, or whatever he's taken part in. 
uh, and I'm sure you've got some stuff from doing the swims, but the, that's not what makes me or Niall proud. I know it doesn't make Niall proud, but the pride comes from being the best you can be and know you have done your best and know you have worked your hardest. So the outcome is the outcome, be it first, second, third, fourth, fifth. So so you, what you're doing, Ross, is you're, you're aiming for a goal to complete something, which I want to ask you about in a minute. Niall's competing with other people, so he has other competitors. So And, it, and there's, an, there's an outcome because the way the Olympics and gymnastics works is there is a gold, silver, bronze medal. So you reward first, second, third. And fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, they, they, you know, they don't receive anything other than the, the kind of what they believe was the best that they could be. So, so you could actually get people that finish fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth in Olympic finals that feel prouder than people that finish first and second. And, and the reason that I say that is because they have done their best. They have reached their self-actualization. You know, they've put all the hard work in and go away feeling an immense sense of pride. So what Niall and I talk about, and Niall is a big advocate of, is it's just going through the process, not focusing on the outcome. Because focusing on the outcome is a, da- you know, it's a dangerous place in competitive sports. Although I, what I will say is, you know, opposite to that, we talk about it we understand we it we're, we're talking about this now and finding happiness and finding your purpose people will get to the olympics and come fifth and have serious mental health issues because they built their self-esteem in the result yes in the achievement they work so hard to get to the olympics and they get there and don't achieve anything you know what i mean so that from the 12 year old boy it's like oh you're gonna go to the olympics you're gonna go to the olympics and now i'm there i've done it but i came fifth and I'm a nobody. Yeah. Like dealing with that, if your self-esteem is wrapped up in results and medals and achievements and goals, that's, you know, that is, is tough. It, it's the opposite. And then I think what we're talking about is so fascinating and so important for the audience or athletes listening or coaches listening to, you know, your purpose, your, the process, you know, what makes you happy. And, and what you said about, you, you like, but probably you're pride, you're proud, and look around us, and we're in a penthouse suite, and I've obviously done really well off of social media financially, but I've been in places of severe anxiety and depression in the most lush place in Leeds, what everyone thinks they want and dream of, and and money and cash and fame, crying and upset and unhappy. Do you know what I mean? So you know, it's it's such an interesting point, and and then. A lot you touched upon football, they make a lot of money, but if they don't love the game or they finish the game and they find themselves lost, then they have money. So it's then, well, where do I where do I search and where do I find the buzz and the way that that made me feel performing in front of ninety thousand people at Wembley every week? Well, eating feels good, drinking alcohol feels pretty good, gambling makes you feel pretty good, and they've got all the money to do it. Drugs, sex, like. It's, it's it's something to be talked about in the journey that I'm on, certainly with that addictive gene and that, that obsessive gene, trying to channel it in the right areas at the right times for me. I don't know whether you've, you yeah, can touch upon that. Absolutely. I think you're, you're so right. It's like from from any outset, when you go on that journey of self-actualization or your guy, whatever it is, I think you need to just identify what is a metric of success for me. Like, how am I measuring self-worth? Because that's a really good one. Like for me, again, going back to the Great British Swim, I was just like, 
I just want to be the first person in history to swim around Great Britain and and, and uh, at any cost, really, like quite selfishly, sort of single-minded. And I was very fortunate that my family and friends understood that. I've already explained about my dad, you know, but everyone was just like, you just do it, do it. If it's important to you, if it's that important, do it. Um, but, you know, as I was going around, you know, it was, it was interesting because I sort of made a bit of a living in the past from fitness modeling a little bit, writing books, and probably looking aesthetically a certain way, you know, body, fat, low, you know, six pack. And um, I was just getting like feral, you know, I was hairy, chubby, you know, I'm like, you know, so by the time, you know, I didn't shower for 157 days. And um, <laughs> it was weird. Like there was a few people, you know, on uh, you know, on social media because I come from that fitness background and people were, like losing all your gains. Um, oh, you're just fat now, you know, and I was really? getting all these comments. Um, but what was interesting is that I think when you identify what you really want, you're kind of bulletproof in that regard. And I got out, I mean, I started, you know, probably like 89, 90 kilos, you know, I was like, you know, there chiseled standing on Margate Beach. And I was like, yeah. And then, wow, like fast forward 100, uh, 107 days, I was... I was about 107 kilos just eating 15,000 calories a day because you are just trying to cope well one put on body fat because it was approaching the winter but two um just coping with like micro trauma of asking your body to do that every day and when I got to the end you know there was a lot of people who were just you know I did a few interviews and they were like that guy's from around <laughs> like what the chubby and, and actually I go to some open water swim events and people were like oh you know you're I was expecting you know, Poseidon, you to be six foot five and bristling with, you know, you, you look like a hobbit. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry, I'm not more. But like, you know, and um, that that was interesting for me. But but when you are doing it for all the right reasons, you kind of become a little bit bulletproof yeah, to yeah. that. But, you know, for everything, for the years of sacrifice, if next year you walk away with Olympic gold and then people start trolling you or you'll be like, you'd probably just be sitting here in, you know, your penthouse just yeah. with the middle round and you won't need anything. You'll probably yeah. sit here with a smile on your face. Or, or if I come forth and get trolled because they wanted, <coughs> they knew I was going to be Olympic gold, I would still be bulletproof because I was doing it for the right reasons. I was yes. doing it for me and it was about me and I were the best gymnast on that day. Yes. And I'm content and happy. Like, yeah, I'll be a bit devastated because Olympic gold's a bit of a different versus, it, it would have changed the path of my life, but... I believe everything's happened for a reason and as long as I get there with no stone unturned and thinking, you know, I've done everything that I possibly can, then I'm content. Yeah. Like you guys sound, yeah. I'm, I'm happy as well. I love can, that. Can yeah. I, Ross, can I ask you, everything that you've set off to achieve, have you done it? No. Have no. You, uh, right. Are there some that you actually yeah. had to pass on? Right. I wanted to ask you, so what if, what if you got to a point where you actually couldn't achieve this thing that you wanted to I, do. I wanted to ask were there ever a point where like death was on the cards yeah like there was there was definitely I, I don't think I will probably know just how close I was like because there was times on the Great British Swim for instance I was I was like really playing with the boundaries of kind of bravery and courage and common sense and, yeah. and, and hypothermia delusion yeah stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah I was getting out and I was trying to convince the crew who were amazing. Like I said, Captain Matt was just, I outsourced common sense to him because he's there going, are you okay? And I'm, I'm mumbling my words. I'm like, going, no, just put me back in, you know, because I'm trying to swim back to Margate to, to be with my family. And he's just like, whoa, like, no, 
you're you're not making any sense now. Like mm. you're, you're not, you know, we're, we're cutting this tide um, short now. Get back on, get warm. So yeah, I, I don't think I, you know, knew quite how close I probably was. Um, and then equally, just knowing when to to quit, no, especially when it's mother nature, or in your case, your body is just breaking down, you know, to know when to say, yeah, that, you know what, enough is, is hard, enough. It? It's, it's oh, hard. yeah, it's solid. But but when you reach it, change your record guy. And yeah. I, I love what you said there, because everything sort of happens for a reason. And you couldn't have told me this two years ago. So this was uh, when I did the uh, triathlon carrying a tree, I got out um, and people were like, wow, you're actually quite quick swimming with a tree. You know, <laughs> I got him in quite a good position. They said, why don't you just... Why don't you just swim with a tree and do something for wildlife charities with the tree? It's symbolic. And I was like, that's a great idea. So um, I rung up the English Channel. I was like, I'm going to swim the English Channel with a tree. This is a brilliant idea. So, and, and to this day, I wish I'd recorded this conversation. I rung up the English Channel and I said, uh, hey, guys, um, uh, Ross Edgley uh, here. I, I, a bit of a random one. I said, I, I want to swim across the English Channel. They said, no problem. I said, okay, great. And they said, we'll send you all the paperwork. I said, oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. And then... And I said, oh, sorry, just a, a, a small point. Um, I want to do it uh, towing a tree for, for charity. And then there was a, a pause on the phone. And this guy, God bless him, he just goes, uh, well, well, you're not allowed. And I went, why not? And he said, well, because you're not a registered vessel. <laughs> and I said, I went, oh, right. Um, how, how do I become a registered vessel? And then he hung up the phone. But then it was the Caribbean Tourism Board that heard about this and they said, do you know what? Come to Martinique to St. Lucia. It's a 40 kilometre swim. The rules are a little bit more relaxed out there. I didn't have to be a registered vessel. Um, I went out. I swum um, from St. Lucia to Martinique first. Um, tried. So it was 40 kilometres. I ended up swimming over 60 because of the way that the tides just sent me. Uh, I was there for like 19 hours. Eyes were red from salt water. I'm swimming, swimming, swimming. I was so close. I could actually see um, the cars and people on the coastline. I was that close. After 90 hours, it was there. And um, I remember the, the captain, uh, Vincent, turned to me and said, Ross, you're in a counter current. It's pushing you back. You need to swim hard. You need to swim hard now. So I said, okay. So I swam for three hours, pulling this 100-pound tree as hard as I could. I put my head up and I looked at him after three hours. I said, how am I doing and he couldn't look me in the eye and he just said, you've been swimming in the same spot for three hours. Oh my God. I wasn't getting any close. Yeah, I was, wow. I won't repeat exactly. Well, I then had some quite colorful words to yeah, say, yeah. as you can imagine. And the whole time we were <laughs> arguing for what must've only been about two minutes, Vincent said, Ross, you know, we've been arguing. I went, yes. And he goes, yeah, you, you, you've gone back 800 meters. I was livid. You know, anyway, they, they pulled me out because I wasn't, I, I carried on swimming. I tried, tried. I wasn't making much sense. Um, I was sleep deprived, carb depleted. They pulled me out and uh, I'm sat there um, on, on the beach in Martinique in the harbour with this tree still attached to me, just with a face like thunder, bottom lip out. And I was, I'd failed. You know, it didn't matter. People were like, well done, you know, 90 hours, 60 kilometres, 100 pound tree. But I'd failed. I was like, no, no, no. I said I was going to swim from island to island. So anything less is a failure. And you couldn't have told me that two years ago. You know what we said about your self-worth? Mm. I had failed. And I sat there just livid. And um, my girlfriend turned to the uh, the captain and the, the team and she said, oh, I know that look in it, on, on his face. And they went, what do you mean? And she said, he's going to want to swim back. 
And they went, no, 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 no. He goes, honestly, he's going to want to swim back and try again. <laughs> so I turned to the team. I sat there like for an hour, just like that, just livid. People walking past like, what is his story with his dream? <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there like that. And um, I then went over to the team. I said, are we going back? And they went, yeah, yeah, we're going to sail back now. So we'll put the tree on the boat. I went, and then I'm swimming. And they said, no, 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 no. I said, I'm going to, I said, I'm swimming back. And they said, please just at least sleep first. I said, fine, I'm going to sleep, eat, and then I'm swimming back. And so I wasn't thinking straight. Yeah. And then slept for a few hours, ate massive pizza, pasta, and I was like, right. And then I tried swimming back <laughs> the other way. Went again, did it about 50 kilometers with the tree again. The tide flips on me again, oh starts pulling me backwards. And they're going, Ross, like, it even got weird. Like, we're out in the sea. And then, and I'm like, you know, like five kilometers now from St. Lucia back the other way. And they're going, Ross, just like, get rid of the tree and you'll make it. And I'm there going, and they're trying to cut the tree. And I'm going, leave it. We've come this far. <laughs> leave the tree. And then they're trying to cut it. I'm like, get off like that. Because um, again, it would have been a failure. If I turned up without the tree, I would have failed again. Uh, yeah. So, and I ended up like, I, I was like, if I go down, I'm going down swimming, you know, and then I did and, and then I, they pulled me onto the boat. The medic was shining a light in my eyes and you sort of see I'm not quite with it. And uh, and honestly, it then that was November. And that's why I think I ended up doing the Great British Swim in some ways because I came home. I had unfinished business mm. with swimming. It was my mum's 60th birthday. They flew all the way out to the Caribbean and I said, this is going to be amazing because I'm going to get back on land and we're going to celebrate your birthday and I'll have finished the swim. And it, just, and it didn't. I'm sat there. I'm like, I've ruined mum's birthday. You know, I've, I've not made it. This is an absolute failure. Like, what have I done? And I was livid. At, but it's like in those really sort of dark moments that, that I think... To say that, sounds cliche, everything happens for a reason. And I don't want to get like too deep on that and stuff. It's like whether you believe in higher powers, the universe, whatever you want to call it. But it's like, I ended up swimming for so long. I swam over 100 kilometers, was at sea for like 40 hours with a 100 pound tree. And then so when people said, are you ready to swim around Great Britain? And I was like, yeah, because I've had a weird training camp. I'm kind of <laughs> yeah. ready. And I think it's exactly the same as what you're doing you're so uniquely placed to broadcast what you're doing because no one's walked in your shoes so it, you don't know at the time and for everyone listening you won't know if you're going through any struggles and stuff but i'm sure you know i can speak to you but it's kind of like it's it, in the moment you're like why is this happening this is like when i'm there like getting smashed by waves with a tree attachment I'm like, what am i doing yeah but with retrospect it was one of the best training camps. it's amazing as well isn't it you can you can have ross Swim 100 kilometres with a tree attached to him feels like he's a failure. You could have a six-year-old kid swim a length of a swimming pool feel like he's made a massive, massive achievement and all his family's crying. It's that it's yeah. it's, un, it's unbelievable, isn't it, that sense of how you feel about you. Because if you just said, look, I've swum 100 kilometres with a tree attached to me, everyone goes, oh, my God, that's amazing. That's the most ridiculous, ridiculous thing I've ever thought about. I didn't, but yeah, but, but you say that to time and you hated it because you failed, you know what I mean? And it's like... But do you think do you think your mindset towards that has changed then as, yeah, as to your why and your yes you know what we've been talking about yes. as to like getting the Olympics and coming forth but being happy yes yeah it has and and that's why I think as well I remember um, when I set off on the Great British Swim um, a lot of people were just and and, and so you, the Great British Swim was after that whole experience. Um, in Martinique and St. Lucia with the tree. So I really sort of thought to myself, like, why are you doing it? It's got to be, 
intrinsically motivated so extrinsic when you're motivated for reasons outside so a medal you know or a feeling of accomplishment and my extrinsic motivation was i need to swim from martinique to saint lucia with a hundred pound tree anything else is a failure and i wasn't thinking of the process so you're absolutely right i should have been happy with like 100 over 100 kilometers 100 pound tree it sounds quite good and now i am but at the time i wasn't and when i set off from margate nobody thought that the great british swim was possible um, sailors said you can't do it you know the tides yeah. are too strong Bristol Channel Corriavec and Giant Whirlpool in Scotland Penland Fett you can't do it everyone said it cannot be done um, and as a result there was there was like literally I think like the mayor of Margate came out she's lovely Julie she's brilliant she came out she was she said a few words there was like four people who came from the arcade because they saw a camera and um, she said some words and, and then God bless her she was even like oh you know Ross I'm, I'm going to have to you know, get get going now, so you best crack on. I've got, I've got to get to it. I think she was like, I'm going to a jam festival. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, thanks for coming, though. And, yes. I, I, you know, and I just like, I just waded into the sea and left. So like, no one sort of remembers that. They, they remember me coming back in when people thought this is, this is possible. But down the East Coast, I remember just thinking, if I arrive back in Margate and, and just it's the mayor and maybe my mum and dad waiting with a pizza, is that enough? Yeah. Is that enough for me to then be that weird old man walking around Great Britain and just intrinsically know that I swam around this island, this big rock we call Great Britain? And um, it was in those moments, like I said, thinking for 12 hours a day, I, I said, yeah, that's enough for me. If I get back and I can hug my dad and we can eat pizza and I can tell him all about the minky whales and dolphins and everything that's one with and the sunset, sunrises, that's enough. And I think it's exactly the same as you that... Certainly this year and embarking on next year, you know, all you've got to say is if I go to the Olympics and I do my very best routine, regardless of the outcome, if I come back home and I can sit with my dad and just have a celebratory pizza and overlook Leeds as the sun sets and just go, That's was that enough? enough? Yeah. yeah. Is that going to be enough? And if the answer is yes brilliant that's your guy that's self-actualization and that's the right path you're intrinsically motivated like kipchoge and all those examples that we described from captain webb it was intrinsic motivated but if you go no i need to be sitting here with an olympic gold medal around my neck you've got a question yeah. and that and that goes for everyone listening as well yeah. i just got one more just going back to the swim and the you were using it's your word the failure mm. did could did you find it um could you not process based on the fact that the failure was not down to anything you can do? It was just you were physically, humanly not possible to swim against that. It was it was impossible. So, you know, did that help you? Because what I, what I'm trying to understand is so the external influences that can be extreme that influence your goal, which ultimately may mean you've got to change your pathway to a different goal and reassess. Mm. Did that not help you process? Because that, you know, that's one of the things I think people would be interested in. Because people may think, well, you guys are sat here, yeah, you've got this goal, and all you got to do is go out and keep going for it and keep going for it. But there are things, aren't there, that come along that ultimately mean the pathway's got to change. You have to go to a different outcome. You're right, yeah. And and I didn't at the time, but I think Mother Nature helped me cope right. with that a lot more. I stopped thinking like an athlete, and I started thinking like an adventurer. And there's times when you just got to throw in the towel and just go, all right, you win this round. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't yeah. I can't do that. But equally, and, and I'm, not, I'm not just out, I mean, I've been a massive fan of Nile for, for ages, but it's like when you look at what you're doing now, 
in many ways, you're drawing a parallel to the ancient Stoics. So with Stoicism, journaling was a key part of it, that you'd sit down after every day and you'd just try to make sense of your day. Mm. You'd sort of go, okay, what worked, what didn't? I love what you said, yeah. pragmatically, mm. Neil. You just kind of think like, okay, what worked, what didn't? How can I run my brain? How can I feel happy? What did I do wrong? Why do I feel sad? Why am I feeling anxious? And I love what you're doing because in so many ways, they were journaling. Now we have social media. Podcasting. You're literally doing what the ancient Stoics were doing. If, if, if Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Epictetus, if they were around now, they would be doing podcasts and doing what you're doing. So it's exactly that that you're going on going to the Olympics, but it's that whole journey. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to take you along with journey. Yeah. Which, the ups, the downs. Yeah. Which Good, no one's ever done. Because you've got to think, social media, certainly as it exists today, hasn't been around all that long. So when you look back, and, and at the moment I'm uh, doing a swimming programme, which we talked about with uh, Channel 4, with uh, Linford Christie. And Linford's amazing because he's he is almost like a, a philosopher of athletics. And he did it all. You know, he, he did everything. He was a world Olympic, Commonwealth and European uh, champion all in one year. No British athlete has ever done it. I don't know if ever a British athlete will do it. And he, as a result, he's so... That self-actualization, your Ica guy, he did it. And now he's a coach and he just wants others to achieve it. And I look at Linford and I'm like, wow. Yeah. You know, but what, you've, what you're doing now is that, but broadcasting as well. And that is, that is so powerful. That Ica guy is what the world needs. There's so many people that 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 final part. It's what you love because I guarantee you'd do gymnastics today if there was no medals. You mm. just you like it. Yeah. It's what you're good at. Yeah. yeah, I can vouch for that. But it's what the world needs, and and you can be paid for it. Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the questions. Brilliant, brilliant. That's one of the questions we ask, isn't it? So if you won the lottery to, today, twenty million pound, what would you go do tomorrow? Yeah, the question. Yeah, well, the question is, it's like, got the wrong question. Yeah, well, no, it's it's just what would you do? if if I transferred a billion, like billion money's no like you pick yeah. the figure, a billion, right? A billion. What would you do? So then everyone goes, just what, uh, what, general, so, yeah. yeah. So, no, my the question is, what would you do? Mm. So then everyone goes, what what would I do with the money? Oh, well, we'll add, you know, or no, what would you do? Yeah, I see. And then and then they'll go, well, I'll quit my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, well, well, there you go. That's a, that's a, a self actualization mm. question. question. It, yeah. mm. And my answer would be, I go to gym. Yeah, you go for a swim, and you I and I'd cut my lawn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, this is, and that's the thing though as well. I love like with your Ica guy. Like some people listening, like, well, I'm not going to the Olympics. I don't want to swim around Great Britain. But it's like, no, it's so specific. Someone mm, might yeah. be a great artist. You might not have painted since you were a kid. You might have lost your Ica guy. You know, along the way, you've kind of lost exactly because everything happens. Mortgages, jobs. You might be pushed in something. You graduate from uni, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my god, I've got to get a job. You know, and stuff. And but it's like. That's fine, but now in this sort of day and age, you, you really are blessed in that you can live your Ikigai, your life of Ariti, Entelechi, Aristotle, self-actualization. Like I said, go back through history, everyone's been doing it, but you can now. You know, it's the easiest period of, of life to be able to do it with exactly. technology, social media, the opportunities in the world today. Like, it's exactly it's the it. easiest time it's exactly to do it. what you want to do, in yeah. my opinion. Anyway, Ross, right, come on then. Spill, you're, you're an athlete, you're an adventurer. Do you drink alcohol? Do you know what? Like, so this is this is bad, actually, because I I think going to, like, a sports uni, alcohol for me was always, like, done as a way of, like, bonding. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know if I necessarily like the taste of it, but 
if like you like how it makes you feel though yeah yeah and also but kind of like you know you'd be like not to go rude lads 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 but like you know if you're there there's something cool about like you know drinking and maybe it's like British culture but drinking games you know I've had yeah. some of my best nights and I think you really bond with people you know around it's rather the people the, who you're with yeah. the social aspects because yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated you're like the ultimate athlete and I've seen you gone from what, what do you wear now? I think I'm about 87 maybe so you've gone from 106 <laughs> after the swim very quickly back down to your chiseled yeah. tightened look yeah Fit, a fitness Instagram model yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but you're right yeah but I you live a healthy lifestyle what, what's a typical day for you Ross you know, so, you know come on spill the beans yeah that's the thing because at the moment I think like I'm, I'm putting away uh, like 10 kilometres a day swimming and then still now yeah, still now. So we've got a, and I will I, honestly, we'll do a podcast when I'm allowed to say stuff. But we, we're floating a few ideas at the moment uh, yeah, for yeah. for other swims, you know. And I think if they come off, I need to kind of be ready. And they're very much if a guy self actualization is for if it's for something much bigger than me. Right. So if they come off, I'm ready to go. You okay. know, so that's where so I'm. You need at. to swim ten kilometers a day, just but, to, just to maintain that. Yeah, yeah, basically. So I'm putting. So sometimes when you're doing that, and especially open water, when you're getting cold and everything like that, there's there's rarely something like a bad food. You know, so I said it around like Great Britain when I was just trying to put on body fat, like Stonehaven, home of the battered Mars bar. My record six battered Mars bars in one tide. It was immense. You know, I was just like, <laughs> honestly, yeah. I remember some dude. He was such a legend. He might even be listening, but he came out on a jet ski with a, a, a dustbin bag full of battered Mars bars, and he was like, "All right, Ross." He goes, "I got you these," and I was like, "Oh, thanks." Do you want to just put them on the boat though? Because I can't really have them right now. So yeah, so I, I think that's one thing as well. Like, I'm, I'm, we can touch upon this on a, on a whole other one because I need to quiz you on this. But I think um, your relationship with food, especially you know that Maslow's hierarchy, it's at the base of that pyramid, and it's like now I find it fascinating because you look at like the anthropology of us humans and you know the history of us, and it's kind of like we were hunters and gatherers, and we had a history of kind of like almost like you know, healthy hunger. We, we, you know, there was that starvation and that self-discipline and would, but now it's really weird. Like, especially with sport, when you're trying to manipulate your physiology, you know, your power to weight ratio, you know, or something like that, that it's, it's, it plays with your mind in many ways. And yeah. it gets, you, that can go down a complete rabbit hole, but that's one I thing know. that I mean, I've talked, we've talked about in the podcast. I've had my own troubles with, with essentially eating disorders, binge eating, yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's very common in athletes, particularly sports like gymnastics, where your body weight has a direct effect on your performance or your your composition. And, you know, we're throwing his body around every single day. And, you know, so food and what we're putting in is a massive factor of how we feel, how heavy we are, what we feel like in the gym, you know, that, yeah. that strength to weight ratio. So I think it is easier to become a bit obsessive, overthink about food and then you you are restricted you're yeah. deprived when you tell a kid that he can't play with a toy all he wants to do is play with a toy yeah. so these particularly in the female the, the female side of gymnastics of you know th things like judo boxing you have to, have to cut weight you know you've got a diet for one period of time bodybuilding i know it's rife with yeah push or binging it it is a tough and it's a it's a subject that we can you know literally talk for hours on but what what was you, what is your experience like? I guess when you when you're eating six battered Mars bars, 
to be able to swim for 12 hours and not everything that you're putting in your body and you're putting on 20 kilos of, I guess, blubber. Mm, yeah. It won't, it won't leave muscle mass, you know what I mean? What... And then having to diet back up and down, have you had any troubles with your mental relationship with, with food? Yeah, I, what was interesting, and I'm, like it was immediately afterwards, Great British Women, and uh, I won't necessarily sort of mention any names, I don't want to get in trouble. There was a few uh, sort of magazines and, and, and photo shoots and stuff like that, and I remember um, I finished, and I'm, I'm sitting there, probably a week after finishing the swim, and like I said, I'm about 107 kilos. I'm the fittest I've ever been fitness in terms of cardiorespiratory endurance and, and swimming endurance. I'm mm. fit. I'm so fit. I can just swim for 12 hours. It's no issue. I'm like, I'm so fit, but not what society would say was fit. And in those, uh, a few of those photo shoots, I remember there was the editor of one magazine. I remember they, they looked me up and down and they went, Oh, well done Ross, you know, on the same congratulations. Um, uh, so I want to do a photo shoot. Uh, and they looked me up and down and went, um, how long do you need to get in shape? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm fit, I'm in shape. And they're like, <laughs> and it was a really awkward conversation because I almost didn't, you've got to remember, I was removed from society. So I was like, what, what do you mean in shape? And they were just like, we need. I just swam around great bit. Yeah. 160 days. Like, yeah. What is fit? Exactly. And actually shout out to uh, the Australia Men's Health, um, the editor, Scott, legend. And he, uh, he was like, we want to use that picture of you at the end where I was. Like, it was just sea bulk. I'd lost like no definition in my abs. I was hairy. And that they put that on the cover. And I was like, good. Because yeah. I was, yeah. you know, I've often said, you know, make your body an instrument, not an ornament. And when I look at my body when I got out at Margate, I'm really proud of that body because I was like, that's the body that swam around Great Britain. Yeah, yeah. The body right now, I'm very lean, um, mainly because I'm trying to get back into running and just power to weight ratio. So, you know, and, and yeah, it's quite nice to have abs as a nice byproduct of that. I'm not going to lie. You know, it is quite nice, but I'm really, and, and honestly, we need a whole other podcast on this because I just think it's fascinating when you start looking at like, what is fitness? What is aesthetics like now and stuff? And it's just certainly even with like uh, male body dysmorphia as well. It's just, it's a whole other kind of, you know, can of worms to open. But I found that really interesting because I finished the Great British Swim. I was so proud. I was intrinsically motivated, self-actualization, ikigai, mm. and then to be told, how long do you need to get in yeah. shape? I was That's like, I'm not in shape. Honest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the, for the um, photographer what? and editor of that magazine, you can do Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, wow. We could, we could wow. Just, wow, wow, wow. We could sit here all day, I think, and talk. So, Ross, are you, are you committing to come back and do another sort of Three or four or five or six podcasts. I think it <laughs> is. Could be the, this could be the Ross Edley series. Yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. wants that. It's a, it's a niche uh, podcast. But no, honestly, I, this you're absolutely right. I feel we've touched upon quite a lot, and we could have gone down a lot of rabbit yeah, holes. Agree, so, so yeah. actually, for anyone listening, you know, jump on on social media and let us know if you absolutely. want us to cover anything from sort of body image, muscle dysmorphia, uh, you know, eating sort of disordered eating patterns, belief systems, beliefs. beliefs I think all, everyone at home remember leave a five star rating leave yeah. a comment apparently it helps when you're this podcast game you can find Ross 
on Instagram. You want to say Instagram, just Ross Edgley. Yeah, that's right. And then obviously we want to talk about your books very quickly. We just touched oh. on your books. World's fittest book, probably number one bestseller. Bless you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that did quite well, yeah. You're, right. You're, right. You're currently writing a new one. All I see you on Instagram is you sat oh. either in the garden, on your sofa, or your laptop typing away. Um, yeah, the new one's going to be good because I think with the world's fittest book, it was all around... Um, fitness so kind of like what you do in terms of when everything is strictly controlled so sports science principles when you're controlling reps weight nutritional strategies whereas the, the new book the art of resilience really touches upon what we've really spoke about today as well which is that sort of mental fortitude and what do you do when it's not ideal conditions yeah. when you do have a tree attached to you and you're going backwards you know how do you yeah, cope with yeah, failure yeah. so um this has actually been awesome it feels like yeah, a little bit like therapy it's been a pleasure. I, yeah no that's why i do it and honestly i felt like my league chat me you two, you're, you're, he's a geek scientist and you, you managed to join in. I was like, like what are you saying? It was, it was fascinating. Do you know one of the things so is when, when we've got, we've got Michael uh, Finnegan coming on in a couple of weeks uh, and we do the I twice stuff, which is impossible to inevitable. And you are the, you are the absolute epitome of impossible to inevitable because you have made things that are impossible inevitable. Yeah. And I'd love to talk to you a bit more about that because some of the stuff that we talk about and we believe in, you just live it, right? And it's, a, and it's amazing. So I will now be, two people I talk to in my, in my kind of small world, I'll be telling your stories because you've got amazing stories and they're very current. Um, and it, and, it, and the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and some of the other stuff that we do is all in the, uh, yeah. the I2I program that we believe in and that we Absolutely. work on. And we, we could talk about that a lot more. So I, I'm voting for, I'm going to go on and leave a comment on this podcast say, I want a series of <laughs> That's what I'm doing. We're going to go training and probably going to yeah. come back and record another one today. Yeah, yeah, Let's do yeah. it. <laughs> Ross, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for listening at home. You You're so an absolute much. legend. Like and subscribe. See you. Bye. 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 Bye.